0: episode we're going to be talking about the Babylon 5 season 2 episode, All Alone in the Night. So this episode, it's really weird to talk about because its main plot thread is very generic. It it is very much standard, alien kidnaps good guy and experiments on him, blah blah blah, rescue, the end. It's run-of-the-mill cliche, but the weird thing is is that the B-plot, the uh, entire Delenn and Grey Councils situation is fascinating and is perhaps the best bit of the episode. And then the stuff in the A-plot that is beyond the standard cliche bits are really good, especially all the foreshadowing and setup for the future, especially in relation to uh, Sheridan's uh, situation and when it comes to Kosh. Um... I'll start out with the Great Council bit, because that's what I mostly want to talk about. Um, so, D'Lynn uh, is called to the Great Council because they need to address the situation in regards to her change. She is now half-human, half mimbari, and I've liked that we have been solely addressing that as time has went on. And now, finally, shit has hit the fan. She has to approach the Great Council, and the Great Council casts her out. She is stripped of the rank of Satai, she's stripped of the rank of uh, being a member of the, th- the Nine, member of the uh, religious part of the Great Council, and she has been replaced. And the worst bit of it is, is that her replacement is Neroon, who you may remember back from Season 1. As I said, he would be a reoccurring character. And the Grey Council is now unbalanced. The Grey Council was created by Valen to be 3, 3, and 3 you know uh three worker three warrior three religious the nine and then you have a speaker who stands and deliberates but stays out of uh decision making and this is the problem now Delin uh, used to be an honored member of the great council she was the student of ducat and uh now she is nothing they have decided to let her remain the ambassador to Babylon 5 as a almost a punishment. This is a uh, sign of where she is now. She's an outcast. An outcast of her own people, an outcast of the humans. She's seen as a freak by both parties. She's nothing. She changed to fulfill a prophecy that she believed in and still believes in. But the Great Council couldn't give two shits. Um, they they have grown weary and tired of prophecies, and they they want to hide themselves away. And she implores them: Do not let the mistakes of our past, the uh, the divide that is slowly growing between us, you know, grow wider. Do not let your distrust of other races continue but they do and she is representative of a new form of trust between the other races and the Membari, and they can't have that especially because now that the warrior has the majority vote they now have four members on the great council the warrior cast was never told what happened during the battle of the line why they surrendered that sinclair uh, really holds, the, uh, hold, held the soul of a Mimbarni, That Mimbarni souls are being reborn in human bodies. They and they couldn't care less. As far as they were concerned, they were fighting a war, a war that they should have won by all rights. They were fighting a holy war. They were, that's what they were chosen to do and he even talked to me and he even says you keep claiming that the prophecy says that there will be another great war then what better than I have a great council led by the warrior caste it is we who uh, fight and die and bleed for your peace and so they feel entitled and the Mombardi be are as as I mentioned, they are hypocritical in the fact that they pretend to not be a divided race, but they are incredibly divided in many ways, and this only perpetuates the problem. They are so divided now. The warrior cast has a majority vote. The Lin has been cast out. The prophecy of bringing the humans and the Membari together as one to unite in this great war against the shadows, the oncoming darkness. Uh, is seen as unnecessary, seen as superfluous, seen as hocus pocus. It doesn't matter to them anymore. And so D'Lynn, as she said, I'm going to face a great darkness soon and I don't know if I'm going to survive it because now it's her trying her damnedest to unite people against what is to come. And I love Lanier's bit where he Stands up with her and he more than willingly follows her no matter what uh, You know his loyalty knows no bounds to her uh, And there's the potential that there is more especially the way that Bill mummy ha- plays, uh, you know linear. There's a hint that he perhaps has a crush on her um, And and I, I love the that scene where she said, you know uh, When we first met you refused to look at me because it was not it was not proper for your station And so I ordered you to look up, but I was wrong because whenever you looked at me, you were really looking down because he still believes it is not proper for him to look upon her. She is still Sitai, even if it's in name only now because she is not one anymore. She's simply the ambassador to Babylon 5. Her role is now separate, and her role in the Grand Council is nothing. And, I mean, they effectively had all in but uh, officially kicked her out back in voice in the wilderness but now it's official uh and they i mean matter of fact the great hansa refused to convene to officially kick her out they had already named her replacement they they just didn't care anymore they stopped caring about her because she disobeyed them they forbade her from uh from uh using the chrysalis and she went ahead and did it anyway they fulfilled the prophecy that she knew had to come the prophecy from Vaylin and this, this fulfilling this prophecy has made her um, an outcast of her own people. She has no one. She's a person wedged between two worlds and she's going to have to figure out a way around that. Great stuff. Absolutely fantastic stuff. The Sheraton bit, when he's kidnapped by these aliens called the Stribe who never show up again, and they're apparently the the weird thing about the stripe and I want to talk about this real quick is that I think the intention was to make a Roswell gray joke. They they are like uh, scavengers and they hunt around the galaxy and they and whenever they encounter a new race, they kidnap them and they experiment on them, try and test their strengths and weaknesses to prepare for invasion. All fine and dandy how eh, however cliché. Uh but w- they look remarkably like uh the vreen or whatever the ones that appeared in Grail uh with that joke gag about the guy suing the ancestors for kidnapping his ancestor or whatever um and it just doesn't work for the stride because like First of all, the costume just looks cheap. Looks like it was just thrown together from, like, generic, uh, you know, alien designs. And if the intention was to do a Roswell Grey joke, a Roswell Grey joke has already been done in this show. Granted, it was an episode not written by JMS, and those don't tend to matter as much as others. Some do, some don't. It really depends who was writing it. Um, that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't land because that joke's already been done. The... Aliens that are, that really secretly kidnap people and do experiments, the entire alien abduction thing and making fun of conspiracy theorists who've, you know, done that for years. That was done last season. I even talked about it. So, in, in that it was actually pretty funny. So, like, I don't see the point in it. it yeah, it's just bad. Uh, but the, the, the bit, uh, where, uh, where Sheridan is being experimented on with like the creepy arm, uh, machine thing, and then he's being forced to fight, um, that was really well handled, I think it was, uh, nice in a creepy atmosphere, um, the, the, it was obviously like a thrown together set, and there were there were some like issues where you know you could see when the sword was underneath the door, and it was they were quote unquote holding up the door. You can actually see that the door isn't even touching the sword, and that it's really just a person in the background holding up the door while the actor Bruce Boxleitner just shoves a sword in there and pretends to be lifting it. It doesn't really matter. It it was it was a well enough design set, and the camera work was well done, and the acting was well done to give it a creepy. Alien abduction-y atmosphere um, uh, that that felt different compared to uh, other horror aspects of this show. I I, I like the entire uh, Sheridan attempting to you know work with everybody. That that that's really his thing is that he wants to. Uh, uh, work with everybody as much as possible. And, and we see with the, the Narn and the, uh, and the Drazi, he tries to speak their language, he tries to get them out of the mind control, tries to continue to work with them, he doesn't want to fight anybody. Um, while he is a soldier, he, he, you know, as pointed before, he's a patriot, he, you know, he, uh, he believes in protecting, uh, he believes in the true meaning of being a military commander not 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 a warmonger he, he truly is here to protect and serve uh and that is seen later with the entire general haig story uh finally we're getting some hints of things to come uh general haig as we find out was uh had sent uh, sheridan here uh sheridan has been a spy uh basically checking on the crew of b5 to see who they were loyal to are they loyal to earth or are they loyal to clark And, you know, it's been made no bare bones about the fact that Clark is untrustworthy. He's working with the Psy you know, uh, isn't it rather convenient that he was not on Earth Force One when it exploded? It's very clearly there's something going on here. And now we get to see people are reacting to that, Uh, not just Sheridan's actions during a few episodes ago, but also here now, Uh, there's a resistant movement of sorts. They're gathering information, gathering allies where necessary, uh, trying to prove something so that when they can make a move against Clark, it is done efficiently, effectively, and they won't immediately be turned on. Uh, the, the trust between people and uh, President Clark is thin, and something may eventually, you know, snap that small wire, uh, and drastic measures may have to be taken, but until then, you build up a slow army, a slow, you know, build up information, everything they need to take Clark down quickly, quietly, and through the measure of the law. While still breaking the law at the same time. I love that Sheridan uh, immediately uh, nails down that Franklin, Garibaldi, and Ivanova is going to be with him. That's why he calls them there. He, yes, he says they're loyal to Earth. They're good people you know they're not loyal to clark it's not about the office you know there's a difference between the office and the person currently holding the office and uh you can be loyal to your country loyal to your planet in this case loyal to you know whatever it doesn't mean that the person currently running it is someone you entirely agree with or like even that doesn't matter there's a difference uh as as i mentioned And as pointed out by General Haig, you know, Sheridan is a patriot. He believes in protecting and serving the people of Earth from threats within and without. That is the job of the military, to protect and serve. And those threats can come from anywhere. can come from, you know, from the most minor of person living in the country, or from threats from without, you know, people outside the country. Uh, it's not the the enemy is not always clear. and uh, it is it's up to those who are here to serve and help and protect to ensure that we maintain a peaceful life. Um, and there's there's a certain level of protection that can go too far, but Sheridan knows where that line is. And uh, that's what I love about him is that even he, you know, while he disagrees with Clark, He's more than willing when he calls the meeting between Franklin, Ivanova, Garibaldi, and him. He's like, you know, if you don't want to violate any regs and you don't want to break any laws, you know, feel free to leave this room now. It's your choice. He firmly believes in the freedom to choose. Uh, And we'll see that repeatedly. Now, I'm going to get into spoilers real quick because there's a massive thing going on. And it's really the only spoiler I want to talk about. Uh, it's the vision. The vision uh, Sheridan gets from Kosh. Of course, the you have always been here. You know, Sheridan has been chosen, um, but being chosen, and is a bit different than uh, you know other chosen one narratives in B five. It's about being the right person at the right time at the right place. Uh, As revealed later, Sheridan is a nexus. When he turns one way, other people turn with him. But there are other nexuses, other people that could be the chosen one if he dies. You know, if one person, even one dies, another will take his place. Uh, And, you know, there are three other options as is, if not more. That being Ivanova, Delyn, and Garibaldi. Um, And the vision he gets is Ivanova with a crow on her shoulder going shh. and uh, and saying, do you know who I am? This of course is um, indicative of the fact that she is hiding a secret. This secret is the knowledge of the fact that she is a telepath, a latent telepath, and she's been hiding it from everybody and hiding it from Sycor. And then Garibaldi says, the man in between is searching for you. This of course is Jeff or the hand of the shadows because uh, there is an equal and opposite of Sheridan because Ivanova appears again in a veil and says, you are the Hand. Uh, Sheridan has been chosen to become the Hand of the Vorlons uh, and he's a very action-oriented person as it is in this episode. He felt penned in uh, and restrained and cooped up in the stations where he requested this mission just so that he could do something, something different. Uh, you know, relive his glory days, be be the action hero, basically and his equal and opposite the hand of the shadows is jaff he's an older man a man who doesn't uh go and deal with situations the way he does isn't action-oriented now normally you would think in a normal show you would think that the hand would be morden uh but i like how jms actually subverts that by making the hand the equal and opposite, literally taking the opposite, not just meaning alignment, as in morality, but meaning quite literally the opposite of Sheridan. So Morden is the face of the shadows, while the true hand of the shadows is Jeff, who we'll meet later. Um, And the entire him getting closer with Kosh is going to be picked up on later in in later episodes, and it's really well handled. It's a nice mystery to keep the rather cliche uh, alien abduction plot rather interesting and keep us tuning in uh so i'll see you next time for acts of sacrifice which is a wonderful episode uh both in uh in comedic sense as well as a deeply tragic story as well so i'll see you next time bye